0: Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix, where each month we focus on IT innovations that are moving federal agencies forward. Here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Greg O'Connell, the Senior Director of Federal at Nutanix. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jason. And we're joined also by Rick Harmison, the Federal Cloud Economist also at Nutanix. Rick, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks a lot, Jason.
0: Let me set just a little context for our discussion today. Back in January, the General Services Administration set out for comment a draft acquisition letter detailing how buying consumption-based cloud services could work through the GSA Schedules Program. In that letter, GSA says the approach would provide cost transparency without burdening contractors with additional transaction pricing reporting requirements. It would also promote cost efficiency as it reduces the need to lock in long-term contracts in markets where falling prices are anticipated. The consumption model approach also would require agencies to give them greater flexibilities to take advantage of technology improvements and better support for cybersecurity. So here we are nearly 10 months later and the status of that acquisition letter, well, is unclear. Did GSA shelve it? Is it still working through the regulations process? Either way, the move to a consumption-based model for cloud services is happening with or without this new policy. To tell us how it's happening, well, let's turn back to my guests. Once again, I'm joined by Greg O'Connell, the Senior Director of Federal for Nutanix, and Rick Harmison, the Federal Cloud Economist also at Nutanix. Greg, let me start with you. The IT consumption model, we're seeing a lot more agencies move to it, especially with the pandemic, the better understanding of what they're using, how they're using it, who's using it. Walk me through why this, this idea of a cloud consumption model really matters and, and is important.
2: Sure. So I think it's best to think in terms of the consumption model and the workloads across federal government as predictable versus elastic. This is some common terminology. I think uh, IDC might've even come up with this a few years ago, but it's common knowledge these days that that roughly 75% of all workloads across government are what we refer to as predictable, like like email, uh, desktop VDI, ERP type applications and services. And then you have the 25% that are more elastic, right? So this is the traditional public cloud uh, based services that that are beneficial when you have a burst in seasonal demand like with the irs around april 15th or social securities uh, social security administration at the end of each month uh, big apps or i should say applications like big data and others can also tend to be more of uh, elastic in nature and the, the federal enterprise represents a variety of these consumption models um, that have really emerged out of necessity but the other key point here is that you know look back in government and the cloud first initiative when this uh, hit the scene several years back it quickly evolved into cloud smart uh, because it was quickly recognized there are some of these applications and services that they were looking to put in the cloud that were predictable and therefore uh, not really designed or cost effective to have in the cloud so that's where they saw a sort of a change in direction and went more with the cloud smart based approach. Again, coming back to that predictable versus elastic workload concept.
0: You bring up an interesting point around this idea of the burst. And we see, we've seen that, that burst, as you said, IRS SSA are really good examples. Do agencies, do you get a sense of whether agencies know when they're going to burst or which programs do burst? I mean, you, you think it would be logical, but it doesn't seem that easy sometimes.
2: Yeah, so this is Greg again, and and I'll, I'll just say to, to answer the question specifically, there are many instances where uh, it is unknown as to whether there's going to be a burst requirement. One that comes to mind was a recall of a, a baby seat strap in a, a GMC Jimmy, I think, and they ran it on Good News, uh, Good Morning America, and it blew up the uh, website, the Consumer Product Safety Commission website. That what was the URL that was posted on the morning news, the national news. So I know that's kind of a silly example, but you can take that and apply it to a more mission critical scenario, and uh, it's it's real.
1: Yeah, and I think along those same lines, Greg. Uh, you know, a big factor in that decision is is really the the cost of being in the cloud versus in a data center on premise right so you have your two different you know basic cloud consumption models um and i i think you know in a case where it's you know mission critical it's running at a fairly stable level we've found at least in our analysis that it's better to have it you know in a private data center or private cloud versus out in the cloud so I think security, I think, um, you know, cost optimization, those are all factors that go into that bursting versus non-bursting for workloads.
0: Rick, you brought up an interesting point. Let's go down that path, the cost factor. Initially, we know that when uh, the cloud first came to being somewhere about 10 years ago, there was this expectation that the cloud will be cheaper. We know it will be cheaper, it's gotta be cheaper. Uh, and even if you just lift and shift, it's gonna be cheaper. And then all of a sudden agencies found and, and private sector found oh, it's, not, it's not that much cheaper. Or sometimes it's more expensive, but we're getting more services. Walk me through the, the economics of cloud a little bit.
1: Yeah. So as Jason, as Greg mentioned, you know, there's been a big walk back from the cloud first initiative within government agencies. I think there was sort of this uh, land rush to the cloud because of some perceived or or advertised cost savings. Um, what we're finding is, as we look at sort of the economic analysis of of cloud efforts, we're not seeing those kind of cost savings, and it doesn't really, um, you know, make for the right decision for every workload or for every agency. Um, you know, bursting, you know, is probably the ideal um, use case for for the cloud, maybe disaster recovery, uh, and even test and development, but you know what we do at Nutanix is, is really look at the financial aspects of uh, infrastructure. You know, we're not just primarily concerned with speeds and feeds or features and functionality. Um, You know, from our very inception, we've done a lot of work around total cost of ownership, return on investment. So this kind of analysis, I think governments are finally getting around to with this cloud, um, you know, platform and solution. So I think you'll see, more of this going forward. You'll see budgeting, um, planning for costs within the cloud. You'll see governance over those costs. I mean, you know, from a consumer perspective, many years ago, you saw sort of the Apple store open up and everybody had essentially a credit card tied to their account. And you would see, you know, families and children kind of running away with buying apps, in-store purchases, et cetera. So I think, you know, on an enterprise level, you kind of see that within the cloud. So, um, we help our customers understand the costs that are associated with the cloud you know how to optimize their costs within the cloud from a licensing or data egress perspective or or from storage as well as you know subscription to services so i think you know that's the big takeaway from this right now is that the cloud is 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 really good in a lot of use cases but from economically speaking, it's sometimes good to repatriate or keep things on premises within a, a private cloud type of consumption model. It's
0: interesting you you bring up this idea of bringing it back. We, there are some instances, and you don't hear about them too often, of agencies moving back from the cloud to on-premise or, or data center. Is there a other consideration that, that Agencies should keep in mind about the economics of cloud. Can you kind of talk through that a little bit about maybe just, you know, we talked about burst a little bit versus, you know, steady state. What are some of the other economic factors?
2: So Jason, this is Greg. Um, I'd like to just reference a recent market connections survey that we executed with over 150 government decision makers, government IT decision makers, pretty evenly distributed across civilian DOD and Intel. And this, this concept of repatriation through that survey revealed that six out of 10 of the application workloads that are running in these given environments across these different agencies that were surveyed plan or either are considering or already have repatriated those back to, to Rick's point. So back to your question about economics, it's, it's more than just economics. There's definitely those cost overruns and unexpected an unforeseen expense associated with with public cloud, but there's also specific issues around data privacy uh, privacy and and sovereignty risks of public cloud that have come into play, control over the applications. There's still a lot of legacy applications and services in federal government that um, there's a concept called data gravity that has to do with having certain applications running on-prem and other servicing applications being nearby. Uh, that aren't really capable of being supported in public cloud today. Uh, Again, and this gets back to the concept of the burden of reengineering these legacy applications. These all come into play in addition to security risks that are are very real uh, that we've also seen, uh, but also were revealed as part of this survey.
0: And Rick, jump in here as well because from an economics perspective I, I think it's it's fascinating of this the results of six of ten uh, respondents that they're either thinking about or have started to you know bring applications back from the cloud. Uh, what are the other considerations from an economics perspective?
1: Sure um, you know from an economics perspective, I think the biggest thing is that you know with the cloud versus on-prem or or private cloud, um, you have this concept of perishability versus non-perishability. Um, it, it, it's kind of like if you have home exercise equipment. It's the best analogy I like to use. You know, this is a, a an asset or resource that I bought. It's in my home. You know, it could be a Peloton, could be a treadmill, whatever. Versus a gym membership, right? So if I don't use that gym membership, I essentially lose the value of that, right? Versus if I have a physical piece of equipment or, you know, a server, um, data center, that it's still there. So if I kind of have to push out a project or not able to stand up a workload, I still have those servers. I still have that networking equipment. So it's all there, available for me next month, two months from now. And I think that's the thing you're seeing in the cloud is that, you know, aligning sort of development, aligning procurement to the cloud. Um, there's, there's like financial aspects to that 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 I think the government's still working through and a lot of other you know a lot of our you know private uh, uh, customers are as well so I think that's the big thing is is this use it or lose it concept in the cloud so cost optimization comes in into play um, making sure that you're using all your resources that you're buying in the cloud um, I think it's a lot easier to control you know, a physical asset in your data center or or an environment versus in the cloud from a costing perspective from and economically speaking.
0: It's interesting you talk about that the exercise equipment. I think it's a great analogy. We've all unfortunately probably have bought that exercise bike or treadmill and now it's a clothes rack. How often do agencies feel like if it's in the cloud and they've paid for a certain level of use because of the way the models are working it's not a consumption model for a lot of agencies they're paying for a certain amount of storage or a certain amount of compute how often do is it user or lose for agencies because of the way money is is spent Greg or rick i'll throw either that question to either of you yes
1: yeah, so, so the cloud really lends itself to sort of an opex model um so at the end of the year i i think you know, it, it's really good if you, if you're looking at short-term goals. Um, you've got an opex budget that you need to spend. Um, I, I think that you know, I, it, within the government, most of the most of the dollars go to just keeping the lights on. So I think they're more um, apt to use an opex budget rather than having to buy physical, you know, capital expenditures like servers and data centers. Um, but I think. The scrutiny that goes over a capital expenditure or buying that that piece of exercise equipment is is a lot more rigorous than just spinning up new instances out in the cloud. So you're looking at something that's virtual that you really can't see. Um, it's really just on a dashboard, um, your utilization within the cloud or or what you're subscribed to versus, you know, if you have a data center, you have a lot more control over it. You can see exactly how the resources are being used. Um, There's less uh, tendency for runaway costs or underutilization. You know, somebody really has to kind of answer to the fact that they bought a server or a group of servers and are not using them right now, or they're running behind on a particular project or development effort. Um, I think, I think, you know, we're more, Um, trained and more accustomed to within the government of controlling physical assets in a private cloud or in data center.
0: Hey guys, I want to continue our conversation, but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. We'll talk more about the economics of cloud and, and the changes that are coming. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network.
1: A recent survey revealed that at least 50% of federal agencies are using multiple clouds in their IT environment. Combine that with the legacy infrastructure that most agencies still use and you can imagine the complexity and the limitations of such an environment. But federal agencies are adopting Nutanix to simplify and manage this complexity. Nutanix software-driven infrastructure and enterprise cloud give IT freedom from complexity, freedom to work with any cloud, to run any application at the scale they need, to use Use whatever technology stack suits them, and to invent the technology that will move their mission forward. To learn more about how Nutanix is helping organizations simplify their IT environments, visit Nutanix.com slash freedom.
0: Welcome back. you your listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Greg O'Connell, the Senior Director of Federal at Nutanix, and Rick Harmison. The federal cloud economist, also at Nutanix, for break, Rick was giving us a good, if you will, work lesson in an economy of cloud and this idea of you know perishable versus non-perishable workloads, as well as why some of the financial aspects the government is going through. Greg, I want to bring you back into the conversation. What are you seeing, or kind of what are, what kind of trends are you seeing from agencies around this idea of of when it comes to economics of cloud?
2: Sure, Jason. Thank you. So, I I would lead off by saying what we're seeing from a trend perspective and an an interest is flexibility and and diversity is absolutely key here in terms of Fed agencies more than ever needing options for how they execute in an increasingly complex and constrained contracting environment. Uh, We're seeing this more and more with the complexity of these contracts and these relationships uh, with managed services on-prem, private cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud environments and the like. And this concept of the subscription-based services allowing an OpEx option gives the agencies that much needed flexibility. So purchase what they need, when they need it, providing a, gre- a degree of stability in a time when budget instability is an annual part of government business due to the annual CRs that we're seeing. And sometimes it even lasts well into the new fiscal year. Uh, in addition, in this, Covid uh, environment that we're currently living through, and the complexities uh, that you layer on in terms of contracting, availability, and uh, delivering services under these conditions, uh, all comes into play.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to kind of dovetail on that. Um, that Greg brings up a good point: is is the flexibility that that agencies have um, to contract at different levels with their IT providers? Um, you know, big thing we do is, is really just simplify the business relationship, right? So do you want to pay by the seat, by the drink, whatever it is? Um, and I I think Greg brings up a good point. Um, and, and we talked about a lot of sort of the, sort of the downsides of, of cloud economics and, and, and the costs that are associated with it, but it can also be a big enabler and you can take on projects that you normally wouldn't have to because you don't have a big capital expenditure you can uh, be a lot more agile and, and, and spin up resources a lot more quickly.
0: I want to talk a little bit about this idea of the financial flexibility. Greg, one of the reasons uh, that I mentioned at the top of the show about the GSA acquisition letter that was big news back in January was right now agencies have to spend a certain amount of money, right? I'm going to spend a million dollars on cloud services. And if it goes over a million dollars, boy, am I in big trouble. Now I could kind of set it up to say that million dollars is going to be doled out kind of per person or per seat, but I still can't really, it's not the true consumption model. Like as we commonly have heard many times, electricity, are you seeing some agencies able to kind of create multi-year money and then set up that, that real, that true consumption model?
2: Sure. Sure. So certainly from a contractual perspective, the government has uh, both limitations and, in other instances, flexibility on the color of the multi-year uh, aspect of the money, uh, whether it's opex versus capex, and again, these consumption models that that we are seeing, and the the needed flexibility around choice of how it's consumed, whether it is an opex-based acquisition, and e- even therein, uh, how it's metered—is it paid by? Is it is it based on a by the minute, uh, by the terabyte? what's what's the the model or the metric by which the the government agency uh is able to acquire the needed technology and what's what's interesting when we come back to this idea of this consumption model and these consumption models i should say and what we're really seeing back to that market connection survey this this whole concept of it consumption models and the diversity is is very real but traditional data centers and private cloud and the federal government still rule. Um, There are several use cases that we've obtained information through this study around mission applications, for example. 43% of mission applications surveyed across these 150 government IT executives are private cloud-based. 41% are still running in data centers. And there's reasons for that that get back to the security, the data sovereignty. A lot of the things we talked about but what we're seeing is this evolution in hybrid cloud right now that is allowing for more true flexibility, both in the consumption model, but also the ability to run your applications and services in say a Microsoft Azure or an AWS, Nutanix in particular, offering new features and capabilities to run these in in that AWS or Azure cloud environment, for example, yet still manage that platform or that data, I should say, from a unified platform that you're using for that same on-prem traditional data center or private cloud approach.
0: I think you actually that the, what you brought up there is, is, is interesting, the flexibilities, how the money is set up. And I think all that really does play into it. And I think that's something agencies will have to really keep in mind as they go through this. I'm going to shift just a little bit. We're going to, we're going to play a fun game, hot or not. It's, it's, we're going to talk about cloud. So it's, It's going to be even more fun than what we talk about, whether it's music or, or movies or, 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 you know, actors and actresses, but we're going to do hot or not in cloud. So let me start with uh, Greg and, and, and we're going to start with cloud hot or not
2: hot, like obviously, obviously right. right. That was an easy one. (laughs) Right. So, so again, you know, Nutanix in particular, we're making public cloud even more accessible to our customers and, and to talk about public cloud for a minute. and, And again, it's, obviously very hot. But one thing the big cloud providers are failing on, or they're falling short in particular, is hybrid, right? And there's some key reasons for this. One is that it's technically difficult to provide a data plane that extends deep into a customer's private data center. We were just touching on that a a moment ago. And what Nutanix has done with our new clusters offering is for Azure and AWS, our customers can have a singular hybrid cloud experience with literally just a few clicks. You can run your own software in AWS and soon on Azure as well, all from that same management console or that data plane that allows them to already use that they're using to already manage their existing Nut- Nutanix private clouds today. All right. So all right. yep. we're taking we're taking data center, DevOps, desktop services, and what we refer to as digital. Hyperconverged converged infrastructure, and running them natively inside AWS and Azure. So you think about AI and pre- precision medicine, predictive analytics. These are all independent applications that collect data sets from multiple cloud environments, and there's going to be instances where you're going to need that seamless capability to share across different cloud platforms.
0: All right, Rick, we already established that cloud is hot, but you give us your take on why.
1: Yeah, I'd have to uh, agree with Greg in that, you know, I think the holy grail is basically being able to move between on premise, have that kind of security level, that kind of um, control over your environment for some workloads versus being able to have the flexibility and sort of the some of the cost efficiencies of the cloud. Um, I think, you know, we look at movement to the cloud, either lift and shift or going cloud native as a big event. And then we also look at repatriation from the cloud back to uh, private cloud um, as a big event. I think, I think you know, cloud is definitely hot, but I think hybrid cloud is even hotter, to be honest with you. That ability to move both from a financial and a technical perspective between those two um, sort of consumption models is really the ideal um, environment.
0: All right, let's move to the next topic, data center. Let me start with Rick, hot or not?
1: Um, as Greg mentioned earlier, based on our analysis and, and survey of, of a lot of uh, government uh, IT leaders, it is still very hot. This is not going anywhere anytime soon. I think that there, you know, there is a time and a place and, and, and a reason to have your own private data center, or like we like to kind of term it as, as sort of your private cloud. Um, So I I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, It's probably it's it's not really on a rise like cloud or even hybrid cloud, but it's it's definitely still very hot.
0: All right, Greg, uh, you want to jump in on that one or you want to move to the next category? I
2: agree. It's it's very, very hot, particularly in, in the government world. And this traditional data center concept where there are no sort of non cloud. Uh, no cloud attributes versus private cloud, which we understand the, the benefits and virtues of public cloud yet on prem. So both, both of those are definitely still white hot as, as referenced in this market connection survey, where those are both considered to be uh, the top platforms for mission applications, office uh, automation applications, and, and end user computing workloads, for example.
0: All right, we got about a minute or so left, so uh, let me start with uh, Greg. Uh, managed services, hot or not?
2: Yeah, managed services definitely hot, but maybe not as hot from a flexibility standpoint. At least in some instances, uh, this market connection survey also talked about the the most flexible to the least in terms of these these consumption models, right? Where private cloud, forty five percent, top of the top of the food chain. Again, we touched on this earlier. The, the government's predisposition around private cloud. Hybrid cloud right behind it at 35%. Managed services from a, from a government-owned and government uh, or con- uh, contractor-operated, a uh, little less hot on down the line, traditional data center, public cloud, and then managed services from a contractor-owned, contractor-operated standpoint, not being as flexible, not quite as hot.
1: All
0: right, Rick, you get the last word. Uh, 30 seconds or less, hot or not, managed services.
1: I think uh, lukewarm. Um, I think that you're finding that public cloud and and, and is probably displacing the managed services a little bit. Um, They're building more capabilities into sort of this infrastructure as a service or platform as a service. So, I mean, being able to just completely wholesale, um, you know, ship your your IT um, function out to to a company is is not as necessary as it was in the past. And, And like Greg, mentioned flexibility is key and you give a little bit of that flexibility up when you go with managed service.
0: Right, very nice you heard it here first what's hot what's not and the first time we've done this on federal IT uh, around federal IT topics so but unfortunately that's all the time we have for today so first let me thank my guest, Greg O'Connell the Senior Director of Federal Nutanix Greg always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you Jason pleasure to be here. And Rick Harmison, the Federal Cloud Economist at Nutanix. Rick, welcome. for You did a nice job for your first time as well.
1: Thanks, Jason. Great to be on.
0: You've been listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search IT Innovation Insider.
1: Thank you for listening to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix for Federal News Network, 1500 AM and federalnewsnetwork.com. Today's episode
2: can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword NTNX.